Rewinded with Ronnie Scalzo. Attention. The following is a paid endorsement. But to hell with that. I'm not reading off a script. Because Mackie, the sponsor of this episode of the Independent Minded Podcast, they make products that I actually use. So I don't need to refer to the copy. It's all right here in my brain. It's an integral part of the experience of making this award-winning podcast. I'm living my best Mackie life, bro. Carrying lightweight yet sturdy equipment in a suitcase across the country so I can record this right now. Relying on the ease of use of the EM91CU microphone. I just pop it into the USB port and off I go. I can hold it in my hand or mount it to my desk using the Mackie DB100 microphone boom arm. Boom! Or how about listening to the new Return to Earth album on vinyl? That's right. Pumped mightily through the Mackie Onyx mixer. But Ron, microphones and mixers are expensive. No, nerd, it doesn't have to be that way. Mackie makes affordable products for everyone from beginners to professionals without sacrificing reliability or performance. Founded on the idea that good pro audio gear wasn't just for deep pockets, huge production companies, fancy studios, or handsome bald guys. Okay, I did read that part off the script, but the rest was off the cuff. So go buy yourself something nice at Mackie.com. You're a natural, you're a freak. I've never cried during an interview before. I've held it together through 117 episodes. Hearing the trials and tribulations of kindred spirits, near-death experiences, failures, struggles. But on episode 118 of the Independent Minded Podcast, Los Angeles indie pop artist Caroline Kingsbury hits me with a double whammy. First, the story of how coming out as queer soiled her relationship with her estranged father. Then the tale of her 33-year-old brother succumbing to cancer. I sat there at Caroline Kingsbury's kitchen table and listened. Caroline Kingsbury has been through some shit. And while she relates these sad stories, she has no idea that she's giving me a gift. Caroline hasn't just blessed me with her great music. She's also giving me perspective. Whether you're queer or straight, whether you're 20 or you're 50, whether all your loved ones are still around or long gone, whether you've lost a dog, a cat, or a guinea pig, whether you're tall, you're short, black, or you're white, the human struggle is real. And it's universal. She reminds me that it's how you survive hard times. Your perspective, your growth, that's what matters. Because life is pain, man. Joy and pain, sunshine and rain. So I didn't cry during my conversation with Caroline Kingsbury. The streak is still alive, but I came close and I certainly felt her pain. And after a very heavy conversation inside her Echo Park apartment, I asked her if I can buy her a taco. And that's where the joy comes in. Because we spend the rest of the afternoon outside and talk music over guacamole and margaritas. She explains why she loves Bob Dylan and Brandon Flowers in equal measure. We laugh and we have this exchange. The Killers has been a huge part of my life. And a lot of it is because of my brother. My brother showed me them. And I saw them live. And I don't know if you've seen them live. I have. You have. Did you like it? This is, <laughs> this is influencing how I see you now. Just kidding. One thing that they did that I thought was really weird, <laughs> which I've never seen anybody else do, and I've seen a lot of shows, a oh lot God. of concerts, big okay. and small. I don't remember. It was probably Mr. Brightside. It was whatever like the biggest <laughs> hit was. They played it again. Yeah. Not in its entirety. Right. 
But basically, like, the outro of it, maybe? Yeah. Like, at the end of the encore. Hell yeah. I, I thought that was really no, weird. No, that's not weird. It's their hit. Have you seen anyone else ever do that, though? Uh, No, but I don't care. I would do I something like that. I don't want to see like recycled that. material. Oh, my God. I would totally do that. <laughs> the thing is, it's like it's all part of the performance. You know what I mean? They're like, they're they're... I loved when that happened because they had just played the whole song. But like, I could listen to that song so over and over so and over like, and over yeah, again. You and me are at the show and you're like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like and I'm like, all right, I'm out of I'm here. I'm beat the traffic. I know, but but it's just so, you know, it's just so connected to my brother for me. No, I um, get that. And I'm not and trying I to And I really do love his performance style. And I think that he's a really special performer. And, and the drummer's name is Ronnie, right? I think. I don't really care oh, about the rest of them. You call yourself a fan. <laughs> I just really care about him, Brandon. <laughs> but Brandon Flowers' solo record was so good. Well, he has two, but his, his second... Caroline and I talk about how L.A. has influenced her music and her coming out, writing breakup songs, opening for the war on drugs, and why she's long overdue for a visit to New York City's world-famous Katz's Delicatessen. Let's kick it all off with Kissing Someone Else, one of the many awesome songs off the album Heaven's Just a Flight. Then my conversation with Caroline Kingsbury, right here on Independent Minded. It's Ronnie Dalzo's amazing podcast. It's Ronnie Dalzo's amazing podcast. He's talking to people who make art and music. He's plugging their projects. He's making them famous. He's helping them out just by making them talk about all the bullshit that they do.
One of Caroline's cats is uh, is pulling a blanket off the chair, surrounded by cats. In uh, this is <laughs> in Echo Park. Surrounded by cats. I never expected to be surrounded by cats during a podcast interview, but uh, but it's here we are. Kind of the best case situation, at least for the people who like cats. I just came from Encinitas, <laughs> California, and my host is a childhood friend of the family, and his last name is Cats. Oh, his last so name I, is Cats. Yeah, so I, he has dogs, but no cats. But uh, <laughs> his company's called Cats and Company. So I feel like the cats theme is alive and well. Is here there on the some podcast, kind of Caroline. like delicatessen in New York? Oh my God! Yes, Cats is like a classic. You have to is ask. That Jewish? Is that like Italian? Like what is it? Doesn't get any more Jewish than <laughs> Cats' Deli. The pastrami at Cats' Deli. Right. That's what I was gonna say. Have you played in New York? Yeah, I've played in New York. Well, I just did a tour. I played New York twice in this in this tour. Yeah, what venues? Bowery Ballroom. Great venue. Played there opening for Caveman in October. In November, I played um, Williamsburg Music Hall. Is that what it's called? Music Hall of Williamsburg. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I played there before. Um, We 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 don't need to go any further because if if you played Bowery Ballroom, you were like right down the block from Katz's Delicatessen, right? Oh, okay. Are are you a carnivore? Do you you like meat? Yeah. All right. So, I mean, it's a rite of passage in the neighborhood that you're in. Mercury Lounge, another famous. Yeah, uh, I've played there. Okay. That's also (laughs) literally like two blocks away. Cool. From, from Katz's Deli. So I can't believe you missed it. Next I can't time. Believe, next time. Next time you go, you'll think of me. Legitimately, get, we'll do it. Get either pastrami <laughs> or corned beef. I mean, you can't go wrong. No. Get a knish. That place is an institution in, yeah. in lower Manhattan. It's been there forever. And it's now that I'm no longer in New York, it's one of the places that if I ever get a chance to go back home. That's where you're going. That's one of my yeah. spots that I got to try to check it off the list. Totally. There's totally. too many still in New York, but that's definitely <laughs> like... If it's not on the Mount Rushmore, it's like it's in the top 10 of like awesome New York eateries that that you must visit. So, yeah, for sure. We'll do. My cat is on the table here. Sorry. This is also a podcast. Hi, Billy. You want to say hi? I'm looking at a cat's butthole. Hi. First time. (laughs) You're you're so talkative, except for right now. Climbing. Yeah, we we definitely got to give some props to the cats before. (laughs) They've just been running (laughs) around the entire time. Let's shout them out now. We got. Okay, uh, we have Billy. Billy already introduced himself. Billy, he's a uh, black cat. He's actually a black smoke tabby. He is here rubbing his face on the notebook. There you are. And this. Then we have Cherry. Cherry is the alpha cat, bad bitch of the group. She's a tabby. She's kind of orange. Um, she likes to pee on things, so that's why I made you put your backpack somewhere else. She's and now rubbing she's rubbing all phone. over your phone. Yeah. Then, last but not least, is Zip. He is a little gray tabby, and he is Cherry's brother, and he is scared of everything and everyone. That's Where do the cats it. go when uh, you're on tour? We have a pet sitter, a really good friend of ours, who is like iconic with the cats. She's like the cat whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> there was something about Heaven's Just a Flight that caught me. I went on Bandcamp. I listened to the record. <laughs> and I got to say, I've done a lot of homework on this record. It's a breakup record. It's a, it's a glam rock record. It just screams Los Angeles. And I want to talk about that. It's, it's neon. It's synths. It's your pink hair. It's just everything I love <laughs> about that style of music is just kind of encapsulated in 16 songs on this Thank record. You. So how influential 
has your daily existence in this city been on your music and on this record? Transformational. I mean, I, I was living in Nashville before I moved here. And in Nashville, I was I moved there for college and I was doing folk music, which was funny. <laughs> but I was kind of coming of age during the, the Lumineers hype and uh is that your point of reference the lumineers <laughs> no that's not my folk <laughs> point of reference but i'm just saying that that was when i was sort of like becoming a real human and that was what was like becoming popular yeah. so what was the I big song a, uh man we played the shit uh, out of it at my old, at my old <laughs> i job. just remember the the flowers in her head that song okay oh yeah i'm gonna use that as the bed for my intro that's that's the sign from god but go ahead (laughs) moving to la completely changed my life in the sense that i came out as queer but also just i felt like i came into myself and feeling confident in the music i was making and the sounds that i was choosing for the first time because before it was sort of just like throwing paint on a wall when i moved here it was like okay I'm starting to understand where these sounds come from. So I have the palette of paint and I know what each color is, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Did coming out and moving out here have anything to do with each other or was that just coincidental? It was, I I mean, definitely. I mean, I I lived here with my ex-boyfriend for a couple years and then we broke up because it just wasn't a right fit. And after that was when I really started being like, okay, I think I like need to date some girls <laughs> because I've only dated a guy and I've, you know, I've been out as queer for a while, but the acceptance here in comparison to Nashville and just the, the, how queer culture is a, just a part of your daily life here. Just everybody, like the, everyone's queer. I don't know. Just, it's just like, there's not, there's more, I mean, there's more queer people here than there's straight people. So it's, you know, or just people who are, super accepting and don't care you know and that was just such a different attitude than what i grew up with and also what i had in nashville you didn't grow up in nashville you grew up no. in florida right? yeah talk to me about the difference then like was there less tolerance for your lifestyle in florida growing up well i didn't i didn't really know that you didn't i was know queer. Then. You no i was so kid. young and, yeah. and i also just was i was kind of a late bloomer and there was no conversation about queerness or anything in my household or even in my friend group besides there were girls at my school were like, I'm bisexual for attention, (laughs) which was a very uh, early 2000s thing that was happening. That and the Lumineers. (laughs) Right. Yes. (laughs) Being bisexual for attention and stomping and (laughs) with a guitar. That's right. They had that stomping stomping thing going on. I forgot about that. Yeah. Right. I repressed that from my memory. (laughs) So your lineage as a human is Florida to Nashville to L.A., Right. Certainly you knew what a synthesizer was before you got out to the land of the synthesizers, but <laughs> did someone put that in front of you? Did someone turn you on to music? Did you go see a band that was more indicative of your current style? How did that light switch turn on for you? You know what it was? It, it actually was in Nashville. I, I had a collaborator I was working with, my friend Will Hess, and we were originally going to be a band. And so we released my song Easy and Emeralds originally as Kingsbury, as a band. But then we just didn't get along creatively. We just, we were great friends and like ha- had similar like ideas and desires, but like didn't click. But he is this incredibly talented producer and was using synths, was using sounds that I really loved. And that was who really introduced me to 
synthesizers and just the electronic side of things. Basically, when I moved to L.A., I was taking that initial inspiration and then doing it on my own. So that's when I I started self-recording and just trying out different sounds. Do you have a lineage with an instrument? Do you play guitar? I play guitar, yeah. But I also, I, I play keys, lightly <laughs> i can play as a songwriter like not as like a pianist right if i put a brahms piece in front of you you're, no. not, you're gonna look at me cross-eyed <laughs> but, I I, but that's the thing about synthesizers you don't have to be a pianist to i know, know that's why i play it. them it's amazing i mean i am a, i do play piano too but there is something about you know any electric instrument where you get to manipulate the sound or right. modulate or there is an art to it. it it is random in a way but at the same time it just opens up this whole new possibility when it comes right. to writing around those sounds. Yeah, I that's what I was really drawn to is just because I'm not, you know, an exceptional musician in the sense that I'm, you know, very technical about what I'm playing. It's more feeling based. And that's what I'm I really love about working with synthesizers is that I can translate what I'm feeling without having to be insanely technical and be like, okay, I'm going to play this piece of Bach yeah, yeah. <laughs> in order to express how I'm feeling, but I'm, but I'm creating something out of the feeling and trying to put the feeling into a sound. Let's talk about the record. I got yeah, some notes on the sure. record here. Yeah. This is a breakup album. I mean, songs like Kissing Someone Else and Massive Escape and fall in love we all kind of absorb the music and the lyrics in a way that might be different than the artist intended did i absorb this the wrong way like these are breakup songs they are (laughs) they were that was my first big you know right after my first big relationship i wrote kissing someone else in massive escape and it was the first time i was really experiencing those emotions and both of those songs 100 percent breakup songs the video for kissing someone else yeah you know you're kind of walking on neon candy land it's, yeah <laughs> um it all kind of speaks to me in a way that not just appeals to my tastes uh-huh. but also to my experience as a human being right now oh yeah the album is really a compilation of three years of my life experience and so the breakup that i had was part one of that experience yes it's a breakup album but it's also a grief album it's also a identity crisis album (laughs) which all kind of plays in together into the breakup album trope (laughs) Uh, just to give you a little behind the music here like i have i you know i always refer to a notebook and i i just write like a like a small sheet of notes and you just said grief there's grief you just said identity crisis there's identity crisis all right so i think i nailed i nailed the aesthetic of this record as as best as i could as a listener and as a journalist and those are all things i really (laughs) experienced in in the last three and a half years so it all just went in there you know i hear the kate bush i hear the pat benatar i hear even like hear like 80s era heart yes Um, absolutely where does that come into play when you write a song on a guitar or you write a song on that bedroom microphone and you bring it to your collaborators and your producers. How does it shift into that sound? That didn't really come into play until I did my first tour. When I did my first tour and I was playing um, a lot of these songs, this is before a lot of the singles were even out. I was playing these songs live every night. I just found myself gravitating toward that kind of performance style. This was my, my first tour in 2019 
every night I would kind of just push myself to do something different, something that felt right. It had been so long since I had performed because I had been writing and writing and writing. And I, when I moved from Nashville, like I basically started over when I moved here, it was another level of the self-discovery. So I feel like that sound that you're describing is rooted in performance. And that performance style is, is what is most natural to me and what feels like the most me. We're in it, living in a time where Spotify, among other apps and social media, make it more challenging for artists to grab people's attention. If I'm not turned on to the record through this podcast, I might not have heard of you for three more years or maybe ever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so think about the average music fan. At yeah. a time where that attention span is dwindling, you release a record with 16 songs on it. Was there intention to that? <laughs> you know, it actually wasn't my idea. It was my label's idea. My label is one guy, Pete, Pete Bauer. Um, from the Walkman. From the Walkman. Right. You're yeah. on uh, Fortune Teller, right? Yeah. When we were putting the record together, it was right at the beginning of COVID. And I was feeling very like, what the fuck am I going to do? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I have all these songs and they're all so different. And Pete sent me a Dropbox and he had taken all the songs and had ordered them in a way that made sense to me. And it basically is the order of the album now. I was actually in Santa Barbara visiting a friend of my brother's. My brother passed away a few months before that point. So I was in Santa Barbara, you know, grieving the loss of my brother. Pete sent me the Dropbox with all the songs. I never heard them in this order and I never heard 16 of them all together. I was sitting by the beach and listened to it and I just cried because the writing process, it was three and a half years, but it was like, yes, like very productive, but also like I would trash songs because like, they're not good enough. They're not good enough. I'm not good enough. But when he sent that to me, it just clicked the music and and who I've been working to become clicked and that was amazing for me that was a huge turning point in the way that I viewed my career as well I was like holy shit I have an album <laughs> this is this makes so much sense now and and Pete had the vision for the 16 songs the 16 I'm wearing a 16 necklace is yeah my, first of all, it's that. my lucky number. I was going to ask about that. It was the day that my brother passed away, October 16th. It's, it's just this number. You know, every, you know, I don't know. People have numbers. Taylor Swift has 13. I got numbers. <laughs> I'm not telling anybody what right, they are, but I right. got Right, So it's a very like positive and fond memory for me, like realizing that I had an album. And I had a pretty fucking big album, too. And we did it. I mean... <laughs> I'm not the biggest artist in the world by any means, but I did find some people who really liked the album and that's been a huge positive change in my career is just people who really get it and who really care. Emotional. No, I love it. I love it. Let the tears flow. The it's tears just flow. really, it's, it's really emotional. I mean, it's just, it's, I feel like society is very, success and numbers focused which is another reason why i think streaming services and everything it can be a double-edged sword in this case with my album like i don't care what the numbers are i've people who like i don't know have connected and sent me these like essays worth of 
feelings about it. And that just makes all of the shit that I went through worth it because it just, I have those records for me and now they have that, but I made it, (laughs) which is, it's, it's, so it's, you know, I make, I feel proud. Like I feel proud of that. You should, you should. Yeah. Moving forward in my career, I want to be less numbers focused and I want to be more moment by moment focused. All right. So let's talk about how that relates to where we are now. This record is out. You cried. You should have cried. It's a great record. You're building a career. You're still young. You're in LA. You know, what is your definition of success at this point? What do you see as the next rung on the ladder for you? I love playing live. That's always been like intrinsic to what I do. So I, you know, I think success for me in the sense of like, of touring would be to, to, you know, sell out shows and, and, play all over the world and and have fun doing it. I also feel like success musically for me is to get to a point where I don't care as much what people think. <laughs> and if I can <laughs> I I I don't know if that It's a daily, you know what? It's a daily thing that you work on though. It, it's a daily thing where you're like, okay, I'm going to try, I'm going to try not to care as much what people think. But it's just human nature. Doesn't the moment you press publish well, of or, course. or you just play just it for wanna, anybody privately? I'm just like, saying my idea of success, and this is something I'm working towards, Yeah, is to just be able to create and create and create from a well within myself that isn't constantly searching for approval. Every artist battles with that. You think Lionel Richie battles with it? Yes. Every artist battles with that. I don't think he does. Okay. Well, you'll have to ask Lionel then. <laughs> He's in I'm the next episode. Saying, I'm just I'm saying just... that, especially being 26, maybe Lionel doesn't because he didn't grow up with social media. He didn't grow up with this constant, everything is quick. That's you know? what I mean. I'm not saying Lionel like right. doesn't deal with the process and he hasn't it's... had a couple of bad songs in, sure. in, in his tank. And yeah, like we're conducting this interview during a weird time in society where tours are getting canceled. I hate to bring the room down, but uh, you were supposed to play some shows with one a band that I really love, The War on Drugs, which would have been a huge opportunity for you. I'm sure it's COVID related. That's the reason it didn't happen. What are the other avenues for success until and unless those opportunities arise again? Because that's always been a big thing for me. Like same thing. If I could open for a band that I love and just have the experience as a fan and as a musician, (laughs) I die happy. Yeah. (laughs) I'm actually still going to be opening for them later this year. It's just not going to be the same dates. Um, So you got to do over at that then. I do. Yeah. I I will be opening for them. I I just don't know when and where yet, but how does that opportunity? Well, I Instagram messaged them. What? Yeah. I Instagram messaged them. I sent them my album and I said, I think we would make a great touring pair. I think. And some, a human being responded. Adam from the war on drugs. So the guy responded. Adam responded and said, Hey, I listened to your album. I listened to the whole thing and I loved it. And I would love for you to open for us. This is, is but you know, but you know that this is not a normal thing. Most, and especially younger artists do not respond to their DMS. You know, I'm reaching out to people to, to try to get these opportunities. And so the fact that he responded and was positive about it, like that's 
that's rare. Who else that's not. Have you done that for? I mean, everybody. <laughs> I, I mean, literally from from the Cure to Cindy Lauper to Wet Leg to Beach House to Washed Out. I'm not shy about asking. So I mean, I've literally like Caroline Polachek, all these people who I would be a great opener for. No, you, they never respond. There's no shame in that game. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's part. The I'm squeaky doing wheel this gets on my oil. own. Besides, you know, my small team that I have, but like, I'm not ever gonna stop hustling. You're like, part of that team. You're yeah, always gonna be part like of I, that team. I'm trying to be more healthy about my relationship to success because it has been something that I've struggled with where I'm comparing myself to people online. I'm comparing the numbers. I'm focusing on things that are not healthy to focus on. But I'm a very driven person and I ask for what I want. And I think that is what is going to make me successful. You can't be like, if I don't make it by the time I'm 30, I'm a failure. It's like, no, bitch, you're going to fail if that's your mindset. You have to make it by this age. I'm not living my life that way. I'm just going to keep going and I'm going to keep making music because life is fucking short and you could die tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) If I didn't have five more questions, that would be a great place to end. (laughs) I know you said we were cool talking about it, so I'd like to. Coming out, your brother's passing. How does that get translated into the art i know through my own experience with grief sometimes it's been easier to vomit out my feelings Mm -hmm. this phase of my life i haven't felt that as easily you know what was that like for you as far as turning it on and turning it off and deciding how much is too much to share am i already sharing too much should i not share any of this i know obviously as musicians that's kind of part of our dna but We're talking about two monumental things in your life. Well, the coming out part came first. That was such a huge part of my life, especially after my breakup, because I started really dating women and I started really exploring my sexuality. So I was enthusiastic to put that into my art because it was exciting and giving me a lot of inspiration and insight into who I am. And I've never felt like scared to share anything about that. The downside with sharing it has been my dad not being a part of my life anymore. He is evangelical and does not believe that it's what's best for me. I think me sharing it in my music and on social media kind of fucked that up. But I wouldn't take it back because it's the truth being who you are and being completely open, which is who I am. I, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not, I don't really hide anything, especially with my sexuality and me actually being super comfortable with it. You know, I'm sharing things and being open about being queer and making jokes about it. And he wasn't comfortable with that and basically has exited my life since that part. And only he wants that. We both don't want it, but I'm not changing. He's not changing. I know he loves me, but he is not willing to budge on anything in any way. And I've tried, but I have to (laughs) take a break from it for a while. If he accepted you for who you are, things would be fine is the point. Right. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Which he's not going to do. No. But with my brother, the period of time that he got sick in 2019 right before he died was actually the second time he got sick. First time he got sick was my 
uh, sophomore year of college and I fell into a really bad depression and had to leave school. I was, it was really bad, but then he went into remission for five years. And then in 2019, he got sick again and he actually was a doctor, which is, I think one of the craziest things about this is this person was dedicating his life to helping people and had just finished his, all of his fellowships and apprenticeships and everything. And he had a um, brain tumor, had it removed the May before he died. Things started looking up after that. Then I went on tour in August and September. And then pretty much right after that tour, my first tour, he got sick and it was like downhill so fast. A lot of times with cancer, it's like that, like things will look up for a little while. And then it's like, it gets to the point where you're like, okay, we're waiting to hear from the doctor to see what he says. So we're going to just keep being hopeful and being hopeful. And then you get to a point where you're like, okay, there's no hope anymore. He got to that point and, um, I'm just sharing the whole experience so that you understand, because if you haven't gone through it, then you don't understand what it's like. So he got finally like diagnosed, like you're going to die. (laughs) That's the, like, it's time for you to be in hospice. And um, I went and stayed with him in Florida. We were lucky for him to have hospice in his own home. I had just seen him actually on, when I was on tour, he came and visited and then it went downhill. So then when I saw him in October, he couldn't even speak anymore. His body was shutting down. Basically what happens and he had brain cancer is all of his organs were starting to shut down slowly. And so I was there with him for 10 days with my whole family and his wife's family was there too. And, um, basically just watched him break down and then he died. And then I went back to my life in LA and it changed me forever. You, once you see someone die and I was there with him, you know, and I, I, it changes you forever. And so from that point on, my music will be different for forever. Your DNA is changed after you lose, especially a family member and my brother, you know, he was my only brother and was 33 when he died. He died so young, so unexpectedly. I'm never going to be the same. No, no doubt about it. I'm very sorry for your loss. That's incredibly tough. How healthy do you think it is to to put it on the page or to leave it on the page? Because, you know, you're making me a little emotional because it makes me feel like we don't have to do that. You know, we can give it to a therapist or we can just write in a diary and and leave it there. But we, you and I, and more than thousands of people like us, take that and turn it into something. I could not leave it if I wanted to. For me, it's not unhealthy at this point because I feel like it's really the only place that I'm able to really work through it. Because now I'm at the point in my grief, it's been almost three years. Once you get into that stage of grief where it's not that active, like intense feeling, (laughs) the inspiration is different. And I wrote a couple songs on the album right after he passed one of them being my brother's voice that came out of the intense emotion of grief now I have to actually really do the work to uncover how I'm feeling about it because it's not actively in my brain in front of my face every day I get it I'm able to look back on some songs further removed from you know losing somebody 
and you look at it through different lenses as life goes on, or if you experience something new, which we all are going to experience right. loss <laughs> all the time. And, right, and, in different ways. And, right, in yeah. ways bad or worse than bad. You right. know? For me, it's just been about deciding, like I said, like, is it hurting my heart too much to just kind of keep jumping into that pool again and again? Like, yeah. maybe, maybe I want to stop swimming for a little while. Yeah, you know? and that's totally fair. Because you kind of just get it and you're just kind of dried up after a while. You're just sort of like, okay, I'm done. I'm, I've cried, I've cried, I've cried. I need, I need a break. Caroline Kingsbury, hang in there. I love your record. <laughs> Thank you so much. I hope you produce more records like it without <laughs> having to endure what you've already endured. But you made a beautiful piece of artwork. And it was, it was great to hang out here with the yeah, cats. Yeah, glad to have you. It's a song called Strawberry Sheets from Caroline Kingsbury. Earlier in the podcast, we heard Kissing Someone Else. Hear the album Heaven's Just a Flight. Watch the videos. Buy the record. 
It's all at carolinekingsbury.com, and you can follow her on social at kingsburyxx. Got to give a big thanks to Caroline for inviting me into her home, Billy Cherry and Zip for not peeing on my gear, and Kip Curry and Erin Christie at Tell All Your Friends PR for setting us up, and also not peeing on my gear. Next time on Independent Minded, a long overdue reunion with a woman who I haven't seen in a decade. We're on location on the beach in Santa Monica, or as I like to call it, Santa Ronica. Why don't you get a job, Spicoli? What for? You need money. <laughs> All I need are some tasty waves, cool buzz, and I'm fine. 